0: We are now uh, turning in the Word of God to read from Acts chapter 13, which is on page 1108, Acts chapter 13. We'll be reading the first four verses of Acts chapter thirteen, and then we'll be uh, skipping over the page to Acts fourteen and reading some there. So, commencing to read at verse one. In the church at Antioch uh, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, "Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them." So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And then throughout the chapter 13 we see the places that um, Paul and Barnabas visit. They first they visit Salamis. And then they go throughout the island um, until they reach uh, Paphos. Then they come to Perga in Pamphylia and uh, Antioch. There were two Antiochs, but uh, this Antioch, not in Syria, but in Pisidia they come to. And then finally they come to Iconium, which is where we pick up uh, the story in chapter 14, verse 1. At Iconium... Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of uh, Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews, who refused to believe, stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to ill-treat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the good news. In Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker the priest of Zeus whose temple was just outside the city brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them and when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting men why are you doing this we too are only men human like you We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food, and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord, in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. From Attilia they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them, and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Amen.
1: Let's uh, turn together to the passage that uh, David read from earlier, um, keeping uh, our finger also in Matthew chapter 28 uh, this morning. Uh, we want to uh, look uh, at um, the same theme, morning and evening, but from two different angles Uh, Today, and that in preparation, then uh, for uh, a series of messages that I'm planning to do over the next number of weeks. I've been reflecting recently uh, on the challenge of uh, the church, or the challenge that the church in the 21st century faces that of communicating the gospel uh, in what is often referred to uh, by theologians as a post-Christian era. In other words, we are living in the West in an era when people uh, dismiss the Christian faith as something archaic, as something that was relevant in the past but no longer needed in this modern um, uh, computer Uh, And scientific age. And so we have a generation that doesn't read the Bible. We have a generation that doesn't know the Bible. So we're living in a post-Christian era. Uh, And increasingly uh, the era in which we live is becoming more and more like that uh, of the New Testament. uh, With the difference of course that the nations in those days had not rejected the message of the gospel, they simply hadn't heard it. And so, I plan to preach a series of messages uh, on the theme of witness uh, in the post Christian West in which we live. And so, today's sermons, morning and evening, uh, have uh, a twofold purpose. Um, They serve as an introduction, as a background to that. Uh, And then, secondly, they remind us what our task is as the church. Uh, And so, uh, this morning, uh, we're thinking about the church's uh, double task. And then this evening, we'll be thinking about the church's neglected task. Um, and uh, we want to come then this morning uh, to the church's uh, double uh, task. Um, if I were to ask you this morning for one word and only one word to sum up the function of the church on earth accepting That our overall purpose is to bring glory to God. But thinking now of the function of the church in our lives. The function of the church in the world. What word would you come up with? Could you come up with one word that sums up what the function or the task of the church is? Well, I want to suggest that there is one such word, and it is the word discipleship. It is the word discipleship. The visible church exists uh, in our lives and in relation to one another, in relation to the Word the World, sorry, to disciple uh, men and women. Boys and girls, in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The knowledge of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And I want to show this morning, and we've done this material before, a number of years ago. But I think I find myself coming back to it again and again in my own life and ministry. And I think it's useful for us to do so also Uh, as pastor and people. And I want to show this morning that this theme lies at the heart of uh, the ministry of Christ uh, and then uh, the church which his apostles established and oversaw its growth. The noun disciple occurs a staggering 200 and sixty nine times in the Gospels and in Acts, two hundred and sixty nine times, and then the verb to disciple occurs four times, uh, and it was um, we had it twice this morning in our service already when David read uh, and the call to worship from Matthew chapter twenty eight. The verb there is disciple. And when he read from Acts chapter 14 and verse 21, the verb again in that verse is the verb disciple. And this repeated use of the word disciple, both as a noun and as a verb, has led one theological dictionary to write these words. This is a fundamental term this is a basic term this is boys and girls the ABC of the Christian faith we can't get beyond it and indeed everything else that is built upon that is built upon this basis just as you will learn big words boys and girls in school but they'll always be made up of the ABC the basics uh, of The alphabet. If you read the Gospels, um, uh, you will find that at the heart of the ministry of the Lord Jesus was the making of disciples. Uh, And indeed, his ministry can be summed up in two simple statements making disciples and strengthening disciples. Making disciples and strengthening disciples. And that's reflected in our confession of faith, the Westminster Confession of Faith. You read the chapter about the church and it talks about the function of the church being that of gathering and perfecting the saints. Making disciples and strengthening disciples. Not only does his own ministry or Jesus' own ministry illustrate that commitment to discipleship, his commission to his disciples. The last words that he spoke to them after his resurrection is couched in terms of discipleship as is clear from Matthew 28 and verse 19. So if you... uh, Turn to that, please, where it's a finger or thumb you've on that page. Matthew 28, verse 19, because this is our foundational text. Jesus said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And um, uh, there uh, they were to continue the task that Jesus had begun. He had called them to be his disciples. And they were his disciples in a special sense. In that they were also apostles. Um, But here now he speaks to them. And he's speaking to the church after them. The apostolic church and the church that is to be apostolic in every age. And what was their task? What is our task in Carrickfergus? What is the task of the church in the United States of America? In Russia, in China, wherever she is found, it is to go and make disciples. Baptizing them In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. Now there are three key verbs in this verse. The main verb, and this is important to grasp, that all three do not have the same weight in the sentence. The weightiest verb Or the main verb is disciple. Disciple. Hendrickson comments, make disciples, is by itself an imperative. It's a brisk command. It's an order. It's the key word. Make disciples. And then the remaining uh, verbs that we often focus on baptizing and teaching. They are subordinate to the verb disciple. In other words, they are aspects. They're not the whole thing. They are dimensions of making disciples. And they highlight that those that are made disciples are to be strengthened as disciples. Uh, When someone becomes a Christian, uh, either today or when they became a Christian in the New Testament times, they were not to be left in spiritual childhood or babyhood, but they are to be brought to spiritual maturity. And so that's why we read in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 uh, that uh, those who were saved and added to the church they dedicated themselves, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching, in fellowship, in prayer, uh, and in the breaking of bread. And that is because those were the activities that would strengthen them as disciples. And uh, what we want to do now is we want to move from, the book, uh, from Matthew into Acts. Uh, this is a one point sermon this morning. Making it is to make disciples. And to strengthen disciples. Um, I know the screen has put it up as two points. But it is one point. And now I want to show how this is true in Acts as well. Come into the book of Acts. And uh, we... Um, The book of Acts, of course, is about what the Ascended Christ continued to do through his apostles. And one way to interpret or to approach the book of Acts is to see it as the record of how the apostles, in obedience to Matthew 28, made disciples and strengthened disciples. They did that first of all in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria uh, and then uh, to the ends of the earth so that Acts closes with Paul in Rome, the capital of the known world of that day. And that's a very deliberate structuring of the book of Acts by Luke to show how this purpose of Christ has radiated out to the ends of the earth. When you look at Acts chapters 1 to 7, the church, um, uh, the perso- the, 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 those chapters focus on mission to Jews, beginning at Jerusalem. And then chapter 8 spreads uh, to mission to Jews uh, throughout Judea. And then it radiates out further. Uh, To the Samaritans. And then by the time you reach chapters 10 and 11. You have the initial um, outreach to Gentiles. And um, 13 of the 30 uses of the word disciple. In Acts. Occurs in the opening 11 chapters. So again and again. You'll read of. People becoming disciples. Uh, Acts chapter 6. I think it's verse 7. It talks about the number of disciples being multiplied. So making disciples. Strengthening disciples. It's what those opening chapters are about. When you come to Acts chapter 9. We meet Saul. Saul. The great persecutor of the church, he's on his way uh, to uh, to round up the Christians in Damascus uh, and uh, the Lord speaks to him, and uh, on the road he is converted uh, and challenged and changed from that point on over the next couple of days. and during that time, He senses the call or he's made aware of the call of God upon his life. He is a chosen one. He's going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter being principally the apostle to the Jews. And by the time we come to chapter 11, uh, we find Barnabas going and getting Paul and bringing Paul to minister with him in the church in Antioch because this is a Gentile church. And from there, Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, is thrust out on three missionary journeys that take up Uh, Acts chapter 13 uh, through to Acts uh, chapter um, 18 and 20, or through to about chapter 20. And again, when we look at these missionary journeys, what do we find? David read from Acts chapter 13, the beginning of the missionary journey, and then the final phase of that missionary journey. And if you want to think of that missionary journey, it was a bit like a horseshoe uh, was the shape of it. As they went uh, from uh, Antioch, where they were, down to Cyprus and then up into the region of Galatia in modern-day Turkey and ending at um, Lystra uh, and Derbe. And they went from one place after another Uh, In Acts 13 through to Acts 14. And then we're told in verse 21 of Acts 14. And when they preached the gospel to that city. And discipled many. There's our verb again. Disciple. They returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch. Remember the horseshoe? The simple thing. If you've got a horseshoe and you want to get from the part to cover the part that's the open mouth and to get back to where you started, what's the simple way of doing it? Well, you'd keep going. But that's not what they did. They didn't take the short way back home, which would be close the gap in the horseshoe. Instead, they went back round all the places where they had been before and um, we're told um, what they did Um, then they returned to Lystra Iconium and Antioch and here's a verb now which highlights this task of strengthening of building up Disciples, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So they went round the horseshoe making disciples and they went back round the horseshoe to strengthen the disciples that they had earlier made. Um, And this verb is a very interesting and significant verb. In its most basic form, it means to support. Uh, It also means to confirm. And so you can see how, and you can immediately recognize how the apostles went back, Paul and Barnabas, to support, to confirm the new believers. Significantly, it was used in Greek of medicines that a doctor prescribed to strengthen the sick or the weak person. And this verb uh, that we have here, it occurs 13 times in the New Testament. Uh, From Luke chapter 9 verse 51 Uh, right through to the book of Revelation 13 times. And here in Acts 14, and in three other occasions, in this whole section of Paul's missionary journeys, Luke uses an intensified form of the verb, which means to strengthen greatly, or to make stable, or make firm. And he's stressing that in the context of each missionary journey, they not only made disciples, but strengthened disciples. So these disciples um, became more firmly established in Christ. They were more sure of their faith. They were better able to cope with the challenges of living out their faith. In their context, they were able to to understand the place of tribulation and of temptation. Uh, And it seems that the apostles particularly talked about that. We must, through many tribulations, many struggles, many battles, enter the kingdom of God. Perhaps they were like some of us when we became Christians that we thought well um, all my problems will now diminish and get less well um, if we think that and if they thought that no we enter the kingdom of heaven we reach heaven after we have battled with many things our flesh the remaining corruption that is in it the world around it uh, and Uh, It's enmity and the malice of the devil, uh, which David has already referred to this morning. So, here at the end of the first missionary journey, we realise that not only did they make disciples in in these places that I'm saying form a horseshoe, but they also strengthened the disciples. Well, is that a one-off? Or is that the pattern that we see uh, in the next missionary journey? Well, let's look now at the second missionary journey. You know and remember that there was the Jerusalem Council in between times. So the second missionary journey begins in Acts 15 and verse 41. Um, Remember there was the division over whether John Mark would go with them because he had Uh, turned back in the journey and so the first journey and so Paul chose Silas chapter uh, chapter 15 verse 40 and departed being commended by the brethren to the grace of God and he went through Syria and Cilicia so now you are on the main Mediterranean coast uh, down uh, the main Mediterranean coast where you've got Israel And you come up and you've got Antioch. And what do they do? They go now um, to um, westward. uh, To reach Galatia. Um, And they pass through Syria and Cilicia. Doing what? Strengthening the churches. It's the same verb. So... They didn't just make Christians and leave them to get on. Uh, and only after Paul had done this did he embark then in further missionary <coughs> endeavour. Chapter 16 from verse 6 uh, through to chapter 18. Verse 18 is the record of the second missionary journey. And you remember how when they had uh, come up round this area, Syria, Cilicia, They came through uh, the area of Turkey, uh, Galatia, and they tried to go to the north, they tried to go to the south. The Lord didn't allow them. They reached across, came across the coast, uh, and there the Lord um, uh, spoke to them and called them over into mainland uh, Europe, uh, come over into Macedonia. And that's the journey, the missionary journey that took in Philippi uh, and. Uh, And uh, such areas in that region Uh, Thessalonica, uh, Berea, and those places. And so, when uh, that continues right through uh, to chapter 18 until they end up right down the south, um, down in uh, Corinth. And we saw that some time ago when we were looking uh, at um, Acts chapter 18. And um, again, what do we read? Go to the end of the missionary journey, Acts 18, verse 18. Paul still remained a good while, uh, that is in Corinth. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Sanchoria, for he had taken a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left them there. Uh, so he didn't stop in Ephesus. But then we come to verse 22. And when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. And after he'd spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order to strengthen all the disciples. So, here now we're at the beginning of the third missionary journey he went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia to strengthen it's the same word all the disciples these are the regions where he made disciples at the outset and, and from there Paul heads up uh, for heads for Ephesus to take up the opportunity that he passed by at the end of the second missionary journey and for three years he stays at um, Ephesus um, and um, he preaches there and at the end of the three years when he leaves Ephesus he goes via Macedonia and care. Again, up into mainland Europe. Uh, Acts 20, verse 2. Now, when he gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece. Now, it's not our same verb, but it is the same principle. Encouraging the believers. Building up the believers. And then again, Acts 20. From verse 6 on, we find him stopping at various places on his way to Jerusalem. These are places that he has visited before, where he's preached the gospel, where he's made disciples. And now he again is in the business of encouraging these disciples, including the elders uh, of the newly established church at Ephesus. So... Let's try and draw it all together then. uh, As we come to a conclusion. Paul had two unchanging strands. To his mission to Gentiles. As Peter had in his mission to the Jews. As Christ had in his three years of earthly mission. That of making disciples. And that of strengthening disciples. And remember Paul had not been there. When the words of Matthew 28. um, Had been spoken by Christ. Go disciple. Baptizing them. Teaching them. Yet he had the same priority in his ministry. And how was that so? Well remember Christ had appeared to him not only to call him to be an apostle but to reveal to him the same commission he had given to the leaven. Remember how Paul writes about that in Galatians chapter 1 when the Judaizers were saying well he's just got this and he said no no I haven't. He said I didn't get the gospel I didn't get my call from Peter. I got my call from Christ. And Galatians chapter 1 verse 11. Right through to chapter 2 verse 21. And so Paul uh, had been given the same commission by Christ. Make disciples. And then strengthen disciples. uh, Baptizing them and teaching them. So it is for that reason that I believe that discipleship sums up in one word the function of the church in our lives. The function of the church in relation to the unbelieving world around it. You who are believers, uh, you need the church in order to be built up In your faith. Christ never envisaged. That believers would simply. uh, Make it on their own. They are part of his family. And not just a family that is future. We are part of a family that is present. The church visible on earth. And those who were saved in the New Testament times, they were added to local congregations so that they would grow and mature. And that shouldn't surprise us. Think of physical birth. When a child is born, we don't leave the child to make its own way. The newborn baby is nurtured by a father and mother and within a family so that it will become strong and mature. And it's the same with the Church of Christ. And we see this pattern followed not just in Palestine. We see this pattern followed in Greece and in Asia Minor, in both Jewish and Greco-Roman settings. Um, George Knight has written, The early church was interested in edification as well as evangelism, in sanctification as well as conversion, in church government as well as preaching. Making disciples, strengthening disciples. Let's make three applications then as we close this morning. You and I who profess Christ, we must always have the church of Christ at the centre of our lives. We cannot divorce Christ and His church. And we cannot divorce ourselves from His church and say, Well, I am faithfully following Christ. And that is a divorce that is being made by some today. And they say, All I need. Is Christ. And my Bible. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to belong to a church. I don't need to be taught. I don't need to be under oversight. I'm taught by Christ. I'm under the oversight of Christ. And in that they make a grave mistake. And they are cutting out huge sections. If not almost cutting into every letter of the New Testament. Because throughout the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, we see those who believe being brought together and growing together. Uh, And so we're never to be content with the fact that I've become a disciple. That at some point Um, either known to us or unknown to us. We became a disciple. We need to be growing. We need to be deepening. We need to be strengthened. And it's a good question for us to ask ourselves at this time of the year, can I see evidence in the past year of where I've grown, where I've matured, And am I allowing the experience of the body of Christ to mature me? Or as can happen, we can be in the church and have a very independent attitude within the church. And we don't allow others to get to know us. We don't uh, allow others to know our weaknesses we don't allow others to pray for us we don't allow others to to teach us we need each other and in being placed together under Christ and under leadership in his church Christ is knocking the rough edges of us and causing us to become more rounded and more balanced in our Christian faith and living. Is that happening? Am I allowing that to happen? Am I resisting that? Am I avoiding that in my life? That's the first application. But secondly, we want to see also um, that the church is to give as much emphasis or she's to give priority to both making disciples and strengthening disciples. And I'm going to say something that you've heard me say before, but I say it again because it is my conviction that reformed churches in the 21st century uh, generally Are heavily invested in strengthening disciples, but are significantly less active, and dare I say it, even concerned about the making of disciples. And so, activity can be added to activity the church program in terms of we need this we need that in order to mature and grow and yet there's not time to go into the world there's not time in the church program to go and make disciples and when that is emphasized well we have got to do all these other things first and then we don't have time Uh, or um, we don't have the resources, or whatever. We can't say that. Christ emphasised both. Not one, not the other, not one at the expense of the other, but both together. And it is something that we need to keep working at as a congregation. You remember last year when we did that pie chart uh, of the hours that we spent together and we saw that a very, very small section is devoted to making disciples. Now, we have been adjusting that and working in that, but we still have a huge way to go. So let's make it a priority to pray that we will be more balanced, that we'll be more active in making disciples. And even think about it at a personal level the time that we spend with people. Um, and again, we, if we want to see another Christian, we will make it a priority. But do we make it the same a priority to go and see the non Christian that we haven't seen for months? and perhaps for a year or more. And then the final thing, final application this morning is, I think this is a very useful lens through which to um, examine from time to time all the activities of the church and even of our lives. And to say as a church, now this activity that we are doing, or perhaps we're considering doing it, where does it fit in? Does it fit into making disciples or strengthening disciples? And if it can't fit into one of those groups, one of those categories, we've got to ask then, why are we doing it? And what's its purpose? And is it a function of the church? So, making disciples and strengthening disciples that is the double task that is the unfinished task of the church uh, and it's against that backdrop then that we'll come to a further study this evening and then into the series in a full way next week amen